words to you today as our perfect Father, who knows what we need and what we don't. Your word says that you lay your hand before us, behind us, and on top, God. You protect us. You say no to what the enemy wants to do in our life. And you are providential, God. You, you bring those things, you allow those things in our life that are tough, that mold us and shape us into your image, Jesus. We thank you for them because we want to be like him. We want to know Jesus more today. And God, thank you so much for bringing us here. As your word is spoken now, God, I pray that we grow as we listen to it, that your word penetrates our hearts and that we live here changed, God. Thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Well, uh, are you glad to be here this morning? Yeah. You guys are getting accustomed to the uh, playtime in the sun. It hasn't rung you out this week, so so glad to see you. That last song that we sang, um, we didn't arrange that or anything, um, or I should say I didn't with the guys, but that song just, uh, I can remember listening to it for the first time on the way uh, to the coast after uh, the beginning of this whole uh, mess that Christina and I found ourselves in um, uh, with cancer had started. And I can remember thinking, what a beautiful thing it is to have God on our side. Amen? Amen. To absolutely be confident that no matter what happens, we are safe in the arms of God. Uh, This is an amazing thing. We're not just playing around this morning. You know that? So this is, uh, I pray, uh, not just going to be a little pep talk uh, so that you can walk out and, and uh, walk a little more lightly, you know. Uh, I do pray that uh, you'll be encouraged, but for the right reasons. We need to be transformed by what it is that we have believed. We have come here to proclaim that we have faith in Christ and Christ alone and that believing in him, our lives will be transformed. Do you believe that? And our entire summer series has been about uh, investing in that walk. Um, as we get ready to uh, go into this, this is the last week of uh, our series, Unflappable. Um, but I read a short while ago uh, a book called 40 Chances. Uh, it's actually by the grandson of Warren Buffett, the investor. Uh, each person in their family has been asked not just to wait for an inheritance. They're not just going to get a bunch of money. They need to have a productive life. And so uh, he went out and decided that he was going to learn not only how to farm, but the best farming practices so that he could then go out and use their family's resources uh, to impact um, places where there was famine, where there was no food. And He was at a conference uh, for John Deere, and he said, I was deeply impacted by the speaker. Can you imagine that? Now, very few of you can appreciate John Deere, but uh, that's a good color of green. If you're going to have to wear green, don't let it be duck green. Be John Deere green, all right? Yes, there you go. There you are. John Deere green. So he says, uh, the guy stood up in front of him and he actually told them, you have about 40 chances to grow a crop. 
He said, from the time that you first were brought up on the tractor by your father until the day that you hand the farm over to your kids, you have about 40 opportunities to grow a crop. And he says, and looking around the room, there's uh, many of you who have spent your chances, all right? You have less than 40 chances, he said. So we want to give you the very best tools and information to make the most out of the chances that you have left. And he instantly took that from farming to life. We're in the middle of a series on Flappable where we're taking a look at 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter says, I'm stirring up your pure mind again. In other words, I've been saying this over and over again. But I want to remind you why. Because I have just given you the best tools and information so that you can make the most of your 40 chances, of your window of life. You don't have an endless amount of opportunities. You don't have an endless amount of years. You don't have an endless opportunity to just increase your influence. You have a limited window. And Peter says, do you want to make the most of that window for the kingdom? Do you want to be your own self living a transformed life and impact others as a result of that? These are the things that need to be yours and increasing if you're going to be useful and fruitful. And we started that series intrigued. What is it that these eight character qualities will give us? Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Let's listen to the word of God together. Let's stand and read it. Verses 3 through 11. And Peter says, His, God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire or lust. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that's true? may be seated. Father, as we look at this passage, I do pray that you would once again um, impact us with the truth of it. Help us to be able to see what it is that Peter felt compelled, impelled by you to write. What are those things that will make us useful and fruitful? But beyond that, Father, we ask that you would enlighten us this morning. Show us the area where we have been satisfied to stop growing. 
Show us those parts in our lives that have been unaffected by your spirit, where we have quenched your activity in our life. Cause us to change. Help us to be those people who use the most of every single chance that we are given because we have yielded to you. Change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Ann Ortland uh, said this uh, a while back. Ray, her husband, preached on Mark 14.3. Here came Mary with her alabaster vase of perfume to the dinner where Jesus was, and she broke the bottle and she poured it on him. Mary broke her vase, broke it. How shocking, how controversial. Was everybody doing it? Was it a vase-breaking party? No, she just did it all by herself. What happened then? The obvious, all of the contents were forever released. She would never hug her precious perfume to herself again. Many bodies who file into the church no doubt do so because they have Jesus inside them. Jesus, precious, exciting, life-giving, but most of them keep him shut up, contained, enclosed all of their lives. And the air is full of nothing. They come to church and sit, these long rows of cold, beautiful alabaster vases. Then the cold, beautiful alabaster vases get up and march out again silently, or maybe talking their cold alabaster talk to repeat the ritual week after week, year after year, unless they just get too bored and quit. The need for Christians everywhere, nobody is exempt, is to be broken. The vase has to be smashed. Christians have to let the life out. It'll fill the room with sweetness. The congregation will all be broken shards mingling together for the first time. Of course it's awkward and scary to be broken. Of course it's easier to keep up that cold alabaster front. It was costly for Mary too. 2 Peter 1, the proof that the old life has been shattered and that Christ has been released to work in our lives is the sweet aroma of agape love. That's the capstone of our study. I just want to uh, flash back to the very beginning of our series where we walk through some questions that come out of the following verses. They come out of the statements that Peter was making at the end, and he, in essence, pushes us to ask these seven questions. First, do you feel useful? In your life, do you feel like when other people are looking at you that they feel that your life is productive, that it is useful, that it is helpful, that it is beneficial? Do you feel fruitful? Not just are you useful, but do you see that there is something that remains as a result of your interaction with others? Do you feel like you know where you're headed, in eternity or in life? Do you have a meaning beyond just your pleasures? Do you have a meaning beyond just your happiness or just the experience you're gonna have this afternoon? Do you feel free from confusion in your faith? Are you confident that you are saved, that, that Christ is the Savior? Are you confident that there is hope in Jesus. Do you feel forgiven? Do you feel pure? Do you know that if you are forgiven, therefore you are cleansed, that means that you're pure. 
There are some in here that this morning, even though we've spent eight weeks in a series, you are still struggling with the idea of whether or not you can be pure or forgiven. Do you know that just by placing your faith in Christ, you are forgiven? There is nothing else you need to do. Now the rest of your life is living that out. Do you believe that? Do you feel sure of your salvation? Those are the questions. Peter says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, then all of those questions will be answered in such a way that it will be positive and affirming, and you will absolutely, with excitement, tell others how to see that fruit. What does he say? It takes all eight ingredients to make an unflappable life. All eight ingredients. Faith is the very beginning. You add to your faith, and that's where it starts. You need to have faith in Christ for this journey to begin. But add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control steadfastness, add godliness, add brotherly kindness, and add love. These are the building blocks of an unflappable life. But it takes all eight ingredients. We have a, a picture of the, some trees here, and I just want you to notice the process that we have. From a little seed all the way until you see fruit, you are not done tending to that until there is fruit. Is that correct? Just planting the seed doesn't mean you're done. Just planting the seed, by the way, is not going to make you full. Okay, Eating the fruit is going to be the blessing. You plant with the intention that you will harvest. Peter is saying that all of these ingredients are stages, are full flower, but you still have the same tree. It's all part of one experience. But if you do not see brotherly kindness and agape love coming out of the life, then there is something broken in the trail. The seed is bad, the ground is bad, the tree is bad, there is something wrong with your rootstock. Whatever it is, the process has hit a snag. All eight ingredients are necessary. And the third thing by way of reflection is that many believe that they are healthy because they are successful in one or two areas. It may be that you in your life have begun to investigate these eight areas and you say, you know what, um, I've been virtuous, I've got good knowledge, I've been, I'm filled with self-control, I'm really living the Christian life. Is that what Peter says? Now, we should be as solid with our no as we are with our amen there, okay? <laughs> if you're just good at one or two areas, and you are not somebody who has brotherly kindness and Christian love, if that is not exuded in your life, something's broken on the trail. Just being somebody who exudes self-control, well, a Pharisee can do that, okay? But a Pharisee could not exude brotherly kindness and agape love. That's not how they're ever described. They're described as knowledgeable. They're described as self-control. They're described as these people who were known as virtuous. But they had it all upended. It did not end in the fruit that God supplies. So, what is the proof? What is the final fruit? It is agape love. Love is the proof that this trail has come to its appropriate conclusion, that it is at work, that the fruit is uh, right. 
We're going to take a look at what agape love is this morning. And the first thing that I'd have you know, in fact, if we don't get anything else right this morning, this is the piece that we have to get, and that is agape love is selfless. Okay? This is selfless love. There are all kinds of other love that you can uh, put on display that are even in the New Testament. Uh, eros love, an erotic love, or romantic love is described in the New Testament. Phileo love, a love between brothers where you have a brotherly affection for somebody or you even have an attraction to somebody else um, because you are united in the same cause or you think the same way or you're about the same things. It's a phileo love. There's commonality there. Um, there's a love that was not written in the New Testament, but it was a part of the Greek culture called storge. It was a love for a mother for her child. And then there is agape love. The most interesting thing about agape love is it gets almost all of its color, even in the Greek culture, from Christianity. It was a word that was smuggled into the language, but it laid dormant until Christ. Nobody could really put a finger on what selfless love was until Christ put it on display, and it was a word that got magnified by Christianity. Agape love, if you're going to sum it up, is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. inconvenience, discomfort, even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. If you ever love somebody hoping that something will be returned, that's not agape love. If you ever do something for somebody hoping that something will be returned, some kind of appreciation, that is not agape love. Agape love is to love them to benefit them, inconvenience yourself with no expectation of return just because of the love and the value of that individual, because of the value of the thing itself. We're called in Matthew 22 to agapao or to selflessly love God. Also in Matthew 22, we're called to love our neighbor, even our enemies. We are not in Matthew 6 to agapao money, we're not to love or agapao darkness. In other words, suffer inconvenience for it. We're not to love men's approval. Have you ever willingly suffered an inconvenience just in order to get the, the appreciation, approval of man? God says, run away from that. But instead, Matthew 24 with increased lawlessness in the end times, concern and caring for others or agapao will fade. Luke 11, the legalism of the Pharisees, even in their sacrifices, did not reflect the agapao of God. John 13, 35, the Christian life is characterized by sacrificial love. John 15, Romans 13, 10, when we agape love God, we will show it by obeying his commandments because his commandments teach us how to love others. We will love what God loves. We will love him and it causes an overflow to happen in us. Romans 5.8, it was agape love that caused Jesus to sacrifice himself for us. 
John 17, Romans 5, Galatians 5, agape love comes from God, not from our own effort. You cannot love others the way God wants you to love others through your own effort. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you will fail at this test. That's an important thing to understand. You struggle loving somebody, a group of people, an individual, a tribe, a political party. Oh, that got you, huh? What? <laughs> you struggle to love them as God loves them it's because you're not allowing the Spirit of God to work through you. We should be under conviction there. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, it's not loving to lead another into sin. Colossians 3.19, men are called to show agape love to their wives. By the way, women are called to respect their husbands, but the agape love, they said, hey, that might be a little more natural for them. Men, you're going to struggle there. James 1, the love of God will result in reward in heaven. Galatians 5, 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is false to claim that we agape love God if we don't obey him and we do not love others. That's agape love. There's a, a podcast, and uh, I try not to quote podcasts too often up here just because I don't have a you know, really good pocket protector. And... Uh, <laughs> The Geek Squad will get me. But the podcast, This Cultural Moment, um, was uh, talking about something in season three, and they did this little thought experiment uh, where they began to study the difference between Fox interns and MSNBC interns. And sitting down with these individuals, they said, you begin to ask them what is their script for life, and they begin to spout the, the platitudes and the ideas from the place where they work. That's how they got their jobs, was they, they said that they believe either that conservative place or that liberal place, whatever it is, they begin to spout those things. But they said, once you get past the content of their bumper stickers and you begin to actually look at the life, the way that they spend their money, the sexual practices that they have, the things that they invest in as far as where they travel, what they look forward to, what they participate in, actually there isn't anything different about the character of their life. They are both groups fully committed to rugged individualism. In other words, I want what I want and I want the world to reflect my proclivities. The essence was the same. They bought into the American script that individualism and freedom is the centerpiece. They had their talking points that seemingly put them far apart, but in actuality, their daily activity was not different from each other. Isn't that amazing? They began to work through and say, as sociologists study, they take a look at three different tanks, uh, three different uh, motivations in life, and there's meaning, community, and freedom, essential things to put, making a well-balanced life. And they said in the West, what we have is that our freedom tank is overflowing, but the result is that we don't have very much community, and we do not sense a meaning in life. 
We are so committed to our freedoms and so committed to our proclivity, so committed to getting what we want that we have lost meaning and lost community because community and meaning take commitment. So you go to other cultures, you may go to an oppressed culture and you're going to find out they don't have any freedom. They can't even travel from one place to another without the proper credentials, but they have a lot of community. Why? Because in an oppressed culture, their community is all you have. Their community tank is full. Their freedom is not. Freedom is overflowing and it leads to anxiety. And the discussion took an interesting turn because they said, you want to know the problem that we have in many of our churches is a lack of community. Everybody wants to feel wanted, but very few people want to give up their freedoms in order to experience community. Do you know that if you're going to have community, it means you must restrict yourself? This is agapao love. You cannot, if you are coming in here today saying, nobody else around me is friendly, nobody else wants to participate, nobody else wants to feel connected, you need to first take a look at the three fingers pointing back at you while you're uh, pointing the fingers, all right? Or in this case, six. Are you willing to restrict yourself in order to participate in community? If you want to be in community, that means that you're going to commit a couple of days out of the month or maybe once a week to being in that fellowship. That means that on those days you're not doing other things. There's restriction. If you're going to be in community, that means you're going to be focused on what they're thinking about, what they're participating in. You're probably going to go to certain things that they want to be about. No longer is it about your choice. It's about joining in. It's about restriction. In fact, the deeper that you get into a sense of community, the deeper that you get into a marriage where you are joined as one, the less you are focused on you, your wants, your desires, your stuff, and the more in that restriction you're focusing on the benefit of another, the essence of Christianity is selfless love. Folks, we could just go home after this if we could amen that, all right? It's selfless love. It is the hardest thing as a human to be about. We love our opinion. We love to voice our opinion. We love to share our opinion. We love our choices. We like to have variety. We like to have a little of this and a little of that taste and a little of those things, and we want to have lots. Restriction is not part of our nature. We don't like being told you can eat from any tree in the garden, but that one in the middle of the tree you cannot taste. It's been our problem. Agapao is by nature restrictive in order for community and meaning to fill in. If you do not feel like you have community or meaning, you need to look at your value system. That's the essence. Did an interesting study a short while ago. Uh, Stephanie Ortiz in a medical journal from Syracuse University began to study uh, how feelings and emotions are reflected and uh, they were doing brain scans on people and when they were able to spike in them romantic feelings or relational feelings like phileo, brotherhood, or common causes or certain things like that, they could see lights going off in the part of your brain uh, that, that highlights dopamine. Um, it was 
I got to get the name right here. Uh, the euphoria-inducing uh, section of the brain is the dopaminergic subcortical system. If I got that wrong, don't tell me. That took a long time for my, my tongue to unknot. But maternal love, agape love, also was linked to a different part, the periaqueductal gray matter. Basically, what they were saying was where one was dopamine-inducing and it caused you to crave it and there was a, a euphoric spike, with maternal love, it was a learned decision. And with agape love, it is a decision that results in certain actions. It becomes deeper, more consistent, and more fulfilling. But it was a decision that starts it. Now you ask, there is a secret problem that happens all around our nation. And we talk about it behind closed doors with people off and on. But there are many moms who are overwhelmed when they have a baby and they realize that not everybody instantly has a euphoric connection to their child. Do you know that's true? 3 a.m. in the middle of the screaming, the euphoria seems to be ebbing. But there is something deeply fulfilling about a life that is given in order that another will thrive. And it is something that they would not replace for a moment of euphoria. Don't take my kid for that. It's a decision that ultimately causes a depth and a resonance and a connection that they would not give up. God says, I have here the capstone for you. Agape love. It's going to resound. It's going to transform you. But you must decide to follow it. I'm going to fly through this. Agape love is the fruit that proves that the spiritual tree is viable. I want you to see these trees here really quick. And I want you to tell me, tell me if you can discern what they are. Uh, what kind of tree is this? Apple tree. How would you know? First of all, let's go back to the last one. How would you know that's an apple tree? There's apples on it, right? Yeah. You guys are super good this morning. I, I feel like an amazing teacher. All right, the next one. What is this? Peach tree, yeah. How, how can you tell? Super clear. Oh, what's the next one? Pears. All right, you guys are living in the Willamette Valley. You can identify fruit. Okay, what's the next one? Nobody knows, do they? Somebody in here is an arborist. They're going to shout out the right answer, and the whole illustration is going to fall apart, right? <laughs> but here's why we're all struggling. There's no visible fruit, right? What kind of believer are you? When people in your office, when people in your circles describe you, what do they describe? Are there descriptors? Anything that has to do with virtue? All right, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, or love. Brotherly affection and love, by the way, are the outworking. Everything else is internal transformation. It's soil preparation. It's stock preparation. It is branch preparation. It's the leaves coming out before the fruit is available. The other two are outworking where others can benefit in it. Others benefit in brotherly kindness. Others benefit in agape love. But you cannot have those things unless you have been 
internally at work on virtue and knowledge and self-control. How would they describe you? If the character traits of 2 Peter 1 are yours, then you know for sure in your heart that you are a Christian. You absolutely are confident of that. But if these traits are not yours, then God says you might struggle and wonder, am I even saved? Now, God's not concerned about whether or not you're his kid. If you put your faith in him, you're still his. But you might wander around wondering, is there anything of use that's happening in my life? And he says, hey, the answer is right here. Don't wander around feeling sorry for yourself. Get to work on the soil preparation so that the fruit is evident. But if there isn't fruit in your life, you, in your own heart, will feel troubled. That's the guarantee. If fruit is not in your life, even you will wonder. Another thing I want you to see is that love that comes by any other process, and that's agape love, agape love that comes by any other process is fake. It's either plastic or it will quickly rot. I want you to see a picture of a world ruler here. Anybody recognize him? Lenin. 145 years old right there. 145 And to this day, there is a team of 200 scientists that work continually every single year in order to make his body look lifelike, like he is only at rest. It takes 200 scientists. Over the last almost 100 years, they've been so actively working at different processes in order to make sure that his skin still looks like it has pliability. In fact, they even have a test Uh, for the skin fats that are in your cells in order to make your skin look pliable. Uh, And they wanted to do this without piercing the skin because they didn't want over the next thousand years or however long they want to keep him in state. Uh, They didn't want to show all of the deterioration. So they developed a test that they can just from a distance without touching the skin be able to test how much fats are in there. And it's so Uh, profound. It's used in modern cosmetology. In fact, they won an award outside of this, and it's just the group who were studying Lenin year after year after year. They soak him. Every year, they take him for a period of, of months, and they soak him in vats of different kinds of chemicals in order to cause his body to swell back up and look more natural. The parts of him that are falling apart, they have discovered ways to create skin that is lifelike. They've even replaced every single eyelash that has fallen out with an eyelash of the identical length so that you can't tell when you're looking at him whether or not those are his eyelashes or the ones they yanked off of a cat in the Kremlin. (laughs) Here he lies in state. 200 scientists. Folks, here's the thing that I want you to get from this. Do you know how much work it is to put on a false front and to prove to the world around that you are alive when in reality you are dead? God says right here, do you want to have life and transformation? You allow me to work out these principles in you, and the Spirit of God will do it naturally. When a person is alive, you don't need 200 scientists in order to make you look alive, all right? When you walked in here today, that's just a natural part of being animated, and God says a natural part of the spiritual life is, I will animate you. But if this is not happening in your life, you will spend hours You'll take teams of people constantly investing in you, trying to help you feel alive. 
Don't go with a fake process. Trust God. Agapao love should be flowing out of your life. And he says, this is the way to make that happen. Just as a fruit tree without fruit is sterile, so a Christian who does not love is also sterile. Now, I, I want you to, I, I brought this point up and somebody pointed out to me that there are a whole group of people who raise fruit trees that don't produce fruit. And they raise them for uh, different industries. There are people who raise fruitless fruit trees, okay? They do that because there's more shade. Uh, there's a, a prettiness to them. They're beautiful to look at, and there's not much mess. Fruit, by nature, produces a little bit of a mess. By the way, that happens uh, even in life, right? In a family, is your life got cleaner when you had kids, right? Christmas got easier, there's less mess emotionally? No. There's a little bit of mess that's there, and it is possible to have a cleaner house without any kids around there, but you crave the fellowship of family. A fruit farmer who plants sterile trees has forgotten his calling, and it's the same with the church. If all we produce are sterile Christians who are good to look at, good to be around, and not much mess, we are about the wrong thing. We've forgotten our calling. There ought to be a mess in this auditorium left by people who are learning the process, who are involved in the process, and who are encouraging the process. But it ought to feel like life. Amen? It ought to feel like family. And the final thing that I would have you understand in this series is that agapao love or agape love settles you and it impacts the world. Tim Keller uh, was talking recently and answering some questions from kids, um, some college students, and he was answering, you know, the world is getting so bad, isn't it possible that Christianity has just run its course and it's uh, outdated? And he says, the very nature of that question just tells me that you haven't done your history lesson to understand what it was that Christianity was born into. But it's a culture a lot like ours. And he began to unpack uh, the culture of the time. Uh, the politics of the time, the sexuality of the time, the way that they spent their money, the way they looked at their world. And when everybody was running away and falling apart and self-interest was at its height and, and Christians were seen as extremists, as people who were so focused on their direction that they wouldn't just allow everyone around them to run their, their own way, they were persecuted, they were attacked. So he asked the question, if, if there is nothing but just uh, societal negativity. If there was no social benefit to being a Christian, how come Christianity grew? He had multiple really intriguing answers to that, but one that stood out to me was, he said, the transformation in a life, when you go from a culture where you have all of the things that you want, but nothing feels safe. Everyone around you is also grabbing everything they want, and everything is fleeting. Emotions and moments, family ties, business, everything could just fall apart in a moment when somebody got another proclivity and your key members in your life fled and went another direction. When the world was constantly in transition and only about appetites, Christianity so transformed the, indi the individual and centered them. It exuded joy. They said, how is it that you have that kind of life? The joy would come out of them. 
Even if they were going to die, they would look at people and say, living for Christ is the most transforming thing, and it would be on their faces. When somebody was following them too close with their chariot, all right, instead of getting angry, they would turn around and bless that individual. You're running out of eels? There's a run on eels down at the Roman store, right? Nobody angry. You go ahead, take the last bag of eels. There was kindness. There was something that was inside the individual, and they could not reject it. By the way, Peter says the same thing. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Do you exude hope? Are you living out a kind of love that causes other people around you to feel blessed? Do you care for them with no strings attached? Is there anybody that you say, I just can't love that person? Well, the fact is you can't, but God can if you allow him to live through you. Agape love is the proof that the tree is viable. Are you confident in your Christian life? If you are not confident and you say, man, I, I need to know for sure. In fact, today, I, I need to give my life to Christ. So I need to start that trail with faith. And you want to do that at the end of the service. You come find me up here. We'll pray. You can know for sure today that you are a Christian. But if you are a believer and your life has been waffling and you're struggling and you're not even sure where you stand, do you know that today you can walk out and absolutely have fruit right away if you allow these things to reign in you? If you allow the Spirit of God to change the way that you live your life so that the capstone of your life is agape love rather than selfish direction, you will live an unflappable life. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to apply these things, to see the value in it. Um, there are none of us in the room that want to live a plastic or fake life. Father, we want to sense that your spirit has animated us, transformed us, changed our direction and our purpose, and so we give our lives to you. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be those kind of people that exude brotherly kindness and selfless love. Father, help those characteristics to impact Salem, to impact our church, to impact our families, but to be resonated around the world. We do ask that you would light us on fire. Cause us to put you on display, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.